Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. We had a great online service today. If you've never listened to our online service or been a part of it, it's, it's different. Um, we call it not your normal service, but God works mightily mightily through that online service. I could literally sense and feel hearts and lives being touched uh, today as I, was, as I was preaching and sharing God's word. And um, so I'm excited to share it with you as well. The title of the message today is Surrender Your Way to Victory. Surrender Your Way to Victory. And that's found in 1 Samuel 7. 1 Samuel 7, Surrender your way to victory. I want to hop right into it. Uh, Israel at this particular time in its history is in very bad shape. They lost the battle and they lost 4,000 soldiers. And then they thought that if they brought ritual and a relic that represented God, it would be a substitute for relationship with God. So they brought the ark into battle and they lost 30,000 soldiers. And on that same day, uh, Hophni and Phinehas died. Eli heard the news, died. He was the high priest. They were priests. He was the high priest. Phineas's uh, wife was expecting and gave birth to a child on that same day. And she died in childbirth. But before she died, she named that son Ichabod. Where is the glory or the glory of God has departed? So the Israelites began to wonder, where is God in all of this, and why are we losing these battles? And I want you to understand, and this is hugely important, that their defeat was not because God left them, but because they left God. Their defeat was not because they left, or that God left them, but because they left God. So we're going to see here in chapter 7, verses uh, 1 through 12, and I, I'm not going to have the scriptures on the screen. Um, you can follow along in your Bible, and I would recommend that to you. We're going to see that the ark is about to be returned. So the men of uh, Kirith-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. So the ark is being returned uh, the ark remained there for a long time, 20 years in all. So 20 years had passed in this time of Ichabod and in this time of darkness in the nation of Israel. During that time, all Israel mourned because, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, says, it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. But that's where I want to take you back to one of those opening statements. The Lord hadn't abandoned them. They had abandoned the Lord. See, because God's promise was not just for New Testament believers, but for those in the Old Testament, he would never leave them and never forsake them. And so they're looking at what was going on in the nation of Israel, that Ichabod had been written over them, and they were wondering, it seemed to them that the Lord had abandoned them, but he hadn't. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, watch, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts. The message today is this in, 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 in its simplest form is I want each of us to have a personal renewal 
of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And I chose those words on, pur on purpose. First of all, personal. That's where I said, listen, you can even either listen to this and say, wow, I wish so-and-so heard this. Or you can say, you know what, God, this is for me. That personally, I need a, a renewal. Now, the word renewal is not regeneration. That would be salvation. Okay? Now, if you don't know the Lord, then you need regeneration. Because regeneration is not making a good person better. It's taking a dead person and making them alive. And apart from Jesus, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And so regeneration gives new life to that which is dead. And that's the first step. But I would imagine for most of us, we are believers in Jesus Christ. We don't need a regeneration. We need a renewal. We need God to work in our hearts and lives again. We need a fresh touch of His Holy Spirit in our lives. And what is the purpose of that fresh touch? So that we can have a better and closer relationship to Jesus Christ. Because everything that we face in this life, whatever your difficulty is, is based on your relationship to Jesus Christ. See, now watch. The battles that we face aren't the whole story. Okay? The, the enemy wants to work to steal your faith, or for you to turn your back on God for a period of time. Now, I don't know this, and I'm not thinking of anyone, but, but I could well imagine in a group like this that we've had people that had, had accepted the Lord, then they fell away from the Lord, made horrendous decisions, and then came back to the Lord, and the Lord accepted them back. And that's what God does. He'll take everyone back every time as long as they ask. The problem becomes, the longer we're away from the Lord, the less likely we are to ask. Because we grow accustomed to the sinful lifestyle that we lead. But anyone that comes to Jesus, he will in no wise cast out. The problem is, the longer you're outside of the relationship with Jesus Christ, the less likely you are to ask. So I'm saying now, I want a personal renewal so that my relationship with Jesus Christ would be better today than it's ever been in my whole life. Had Israel had a relationship with God? Yes. He formed them, chose them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, delivered them through Moses, provided for them in the wilderness. Uh, all of these things, okay? He had done that. What they needed was a renewal. Maybe we would call careful with the word revival because I'm not sure what that means. It means different things to different people. I think revival used to be in the front of the church and now I think revival is out in the streets. That if we don't take what we get in church and take it to our neighbors, then it's really not revival. See? Revival in Pentecostal circles used to be all oh, these unbelievable services that we had, but we never touched other lives outside. Revival now is that we're, we have a, a move of God that compels us into the highways and byways. It, it's this idea of the, I, I can't help myself. If that's what revival is, then that's what I want. I want a renewal to touch other people's lives, that it's not just about me. In fact, it's not about me. It's about him and it's about others. All right. So Samuel said, if you want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, he gives them three things. Get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts 
to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. Three steps to victory. First of all, rid yourself of your gods and the gods of this world. This was not something new to the Israelites because it was written in Genesis. Genesis 35.2 says, So Jacob told everyone, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the third patriarch, said the same thing. Get rid of all, of all of your pagan idols. Purify yourselves and put on clean clothing. Idolatry had been an issue to the Israelites almost from the beginning. And idolatry is always an issue for the human heart. Because we're, watch, we're created as worshipers. And so therefore we have to worship the problem is we choose the wrong object of worship. Everyone worships something. The godless atheist worships something. They worship science or themselves or their own mind. But everyone worships something. Why? Because we were created worshiping. Okay? Not because of a need that God had, because God doesn't have a need. God's not up there saying, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do if the people don't worship me or if they don't. No, no, no. It's because we need to worship. And anything other, now watch this now, you're getting a little, little deep, I'll bring it back around. Watch, anything other than complete worship of God is idolatry. And so you can look and say, well, we don't have these images, and we don't have an Ashtoreth pole, and we don't have images of Baal. But we all, if we're not careful, have idols in our lives that we need to get rid of. And we've talked about this many times through the years. Even a good thing that's made a God thing becomes a bad thing. And so we can make an idol out of anything. We can make an idol out of our spouse. And that's a good thing. The scripture says, he who findeth a wife find, findeth a good thing. Marriage is good. Our spouse is wonderful. There are partners that God has given us in the gift. But they're not God. And if we make our spouse in a sense, meet all of our greatest needs. And we're forcing them into a mold that they can't fulfill because they're not God. We've made them God. Your spouse is an idol. Your children can be an idol. If your world revolves around your children, then they're an idol. I've said this. Listen, catch this, please. Children are a great gift, but they're terrible gods. And if you let them... They will control every area of your life from the moment they are born to the moment you die. But your children are not gods. They're a gift. Please, as young parents, don't jump when your child says jump. You're not their friend yet. You're their parent. You pray that as they get older, then you develop friendship relationship. But when your children are young, you are the... This is tough. This is how we raised our kids. We are the... Other than God, and we are God's representatives, we are the supreme rulers of our home. And our children never led us around. We led our children. And I'm telling you, it makes all the difference because here's how smart children are. If you... Teach them that they're the center of the world, they'll believe it. You have to teach them they are not the center of the world, that there are more important things in life than them. God and the family as a whole unit. Okay? Because your children, I watch it. 
I've watched it for decades. They will own you. They're a wonderful gift. The, I mean, the only joy, and I haven't experienced yet, but somebody told me this this week. The only greater joy than having children is what? Grandchildren. I had a lady, uh, I had a lady this week tell me that I love my children. I love my husband. I love all of them. But when I held that grandchild for the first time, it was like nothing I ever experienced. They're wonderful gifts, but they're terrible gods. Your job, gifts from the Lord that you can eat, <laughs> have a place to live. It's not your God. Your church is a wonderful place. We have a, an amazing church. Better than anything I could ever ask for. But the church itself is not your God. Your life should not revolve around the church. The church revolves around God. Do you see what I'm saying? We can all have idols in our life. Warren Wearsby puts it like this. An idol is a substitute for God. Anything that we trust and serve in place of the Lord. The Jews gave themselves to idols of wood, stone, metal, but believers today have more subtle and attractive gods, houses, lands, wealth, automobiles, boats, position, recognition, ambition, and even other people. Anything in our lives that takes the place of God and commands the sacrifice and devotion that belong only to Him is an idol and must be cast out. And watch this phrase, idols in the heart are far more dangerous than idols in the temple. If you want a personal spiritual renewal, the first thing you have to do is get rid of the other idols in your life. And you have to determine with God's help what those idols are. I can't tell you what they... I just gave you some simple examples of good things that became a God thing, which makes it a bad thing because they become idols. Okay? Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Love your children. Love your spouse. Love them, love them, love them. But please don't make them God. Because they're not. And they can't meet your greatest need. I said a few weeks ago, even if you've lost everything that this world has to offer, you haven't lost everything because you still have your relationship to the Lord. And that's what will carry you through. Get rid of your gods, false gods, your idols. Turn your hearts to the Lord. That's the idea of turning around, turning back um, what you, where your feet used to take you that you thought was important no longer is. Let your heart and mind go to the things of the Lord and not so much to the things of the world. Don't glorify what the world glorifies. Glorify God. Turn your heart to God. God, you're first. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Make sure your heart is right with God. And this goes back again. This is not New Testament. This is not something the Israelites in 1 Samuel's day didn't know. Because Deuteronomy said, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. That's Old Testament. Repent. Change your attitude toward God, and that will change your actions. Real quick, Christianity is not about changing your actions, and therefore God will accept you. 
Christianity is about changing your attitude towards God, and then He will gradually change your actions. And here's what I mean by that. The attitude is this. I'm a sinner that desperately needs a Savior, and there's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus. And I used to think that I could save myself by doing all of this stuff. Now I recognize that I can't save myself, and I need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. That's repentance. Okay? Again, I used to have this backwards myself. I used to think, well, stop doing bad things. That's what repentance is. But the reality is, apart from Jesus, I can't stop doing bad things. I need a relationship with Jesus first, and then He helps me to stop doing bad things. Don't get that out of order, because then it's idolatry and not Christianity. So you worship your own acts, your own deeds, your own works. All right. You still with me? Hello? You have to understand, I'm not going to stop. You're just going to miss it. Okay? If you're not with me, that doesn't say to me, oh, you need to stop. No, I'm going to preach until I feel that it's time to be done. And I just don't want you to miss anything in between. That's all. That's all. Repent. Obey Him only. Obey Him only. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Does anybody know? Yeah, keep my commands or obey my commandments. But that goes back to the Old Testament of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy 27.10, So you must obey the Lord your God by keeping all of His commands and decrees that I am giving you today. Here's my point in all of this. It's not that the Israelites didn't know what they were doing. They deliberately chose not to do what they knew, what they know they should have been doing. Don't ask me to repeat that again. I know what I meant in my head. They knew what they were supposed to be doing, and they chose not to do it. There, that's better phrasing. This was all years before them. They were taught all of this, and they deliberately rejected God. So now we have 20 years of Ichabod, where it seemed like the Lord had departed from them, which wasn't true, but now they realized we need God. We can't keep going as a nation without the glory of God in our lives. So something weird happens here. And it starts in verse 4 with the word so. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and worshipped only the Lord. They actually listened to Samuel. That rarely happens in Scripture. Rarely. They killed all the prophets, including Jesus. But at this particular time, they actually listened and got rid of all of those things. So, when you see the word so, is my responsibility. What should I do? What should they do? They did what they were supposed to do. They got rid of all of those images, and they worshiped the Lord only. Then, verse 5, the first word, then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They fulfilled their responsibility. Samuel was going to fulfill his, and God was going to do what only God can do. Don't read ahead yet. So they gathered at Mitzpah, and in a great ceremony, they drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. I meant to investigate this more, and I forgot, because I kept writing the sermon and didn't go back to it. So I'm going to tell you what I think that means. It had something to do with sacrifice. I get that. But I think the pouring out of the water, at least in my own mind, and I could be completely wrong on this, is they were just pouring out everything before the Lord. 
they had just finally gotten to the place they were tired of where they were, and they just poured it all out to God as a sacrifice, as an offering to Him. And you can just imagine the water just spreading out all over the place. Did you ever pray to God or you cried so much that it just seemed like it was going everywhere? That's what was happening here. They were mournful, remorseful of their sins. And they also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. Listen, you're not going to have personal renewal in your life by blaming other people for all of your own decisions. That's not popular today because a personal responsibility is not popular. But in Scripture, personal responsibility, they took responsibility for their own sins, for their own actions. And that's when God intervened. If it's always everybody else's fault, then you don't need a Savior. You don't need Jesus. You need the government. And the last time I checked, the government is a terrible God and a terrible Savior. I'm thankful for the government. Don't get me wrong. Not a politician. I'm not going to get into all that. But the government ain't God. So stop looking to the government as if they are God. They are a tool that God can use if they are willing. All right, that's enough of that. They also went without food all day. And, and I'll just say this too since I'm really hitting it hard today. You know, people when I get into politics, they're much more concerned about politics than they are their passion for Jesus. Because I could preach for an hour and a half about Jesus being Lord, Savior. And if I mention one thing about politics, that's all anybody ever wants to talk about. I don't want to talk about it. I'm talking about Jesus. My uh, trusting in Joe Biden? Nope. I didn't trust in Trump either. I didn't trust in either of the George Bushes. I didn't trust in Clinton. I didn't trust in Reagan. I remember Nixon, but didn't, you know, wasn't old enough. I don't go back and think that John F. Kennedy was the answer. Lyndon Bain Johnson, he wasn't the answer. Eisenhower, he wasn't the answer. Truman wasn't the answer, and you, I could go on and on. I could be on Jeopardy as it relates to this. <laughs> There's still only one God. And He's still God. And He always will be God. There's a throne, and it's not empty. It's not voted on. It can't be impeached. It doesn't need the approval of Congress. There's a throne and it's filled with the one who makes the seas of rebellion and wickedness cease in his presence. It's the one who sits surrounded by a circular rainbow that his mercy never ends. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, looking as if he had been slain, that the greatest power in the universe is not political power, it's not military power, it's the slain Lamb of God, of which the church of Jesus Christ has the opportunity, privilege, and responsibility of sharing with the world. But no, we'd rather talk politics. We'd rather harangue Uncle Joe Biden Talk about what a corrupt politician Donald Trump was like we've ever had a politician that wasn't in some way. I don't discuss it. I don't talk about it. 
because it's a distraction. Anyway, all right, all right, all right. So they went without food to call out to the Lord and confess their sin. Okay, now we're headed for another showdown. Verse 7. Oh, it's early. It's early. Some of you just looked at your watch, and I just want to tell you, I saw you look at your watch earlier too. I'm just saying. No, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. Okay, so verse 7. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mitzpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. Look, the Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Well, yeah, they were frightened because they had been defeated so soundly. And so they had repented. They had done everything that God wanted them to do, but there was still a bit of fear there because they didn't know what was going to happen. They remembered that they had lost before. They had brought a relic of God, but not a relationship with God to the battle and were defeated Verse 9, so Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Let me give you some more good news. Are you ready for some more good news? We don't have to offer a young lamb because the lamb has already been offered once and for all. We don't have to go into our day-to-day -day battles wondering if God is on our side because he's already proved that he is on our side. We don't have to offer any other source or, or any other sort of sacrifice because the ultimate lamb, the spotless lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth, that's seated in the heavenly realms, has already been slain. The victory has already been won. See, they needed a, a, a symbol of the ultimate lamb, but we have the ultimate lamb already that's been slain. And so the victory came to them through their obedience to sacrificing a young lamb. But our victory comes today through the uh, sacrificial sacrifice of the spotless lamb of God whose name is Jesus. That's where our victory comes from. See, our victory doesn't come from our personal renewal. The personal renewal leads us to the one who gives us victory. Do you understand that? That's why you can pray, you can read the scripture, you can give more than anybody else, and you can self-discipline yourself more than anybody else and still miss the glory and the victory that God has to offer you. There was no people more disciplined, more right-winged, more scriptural-based than the Pharisees. They had no relationship with God. It was all their mouths. Nothing in their hearts. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. Isn't that something? God's timing. The next word, but. This is God's part. But the Lord spoke. Hallelujah. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from the heaven that day. Can you imagine? Dora and I were at the house years ago. Kids were still home. And we heard this thunder rumble and a crack of lightning hit our back wooden fence. Richie has fixed that fence many times, haven't you, Rich? We heard this crack and I was in the back and she was in the front and we met somewhere in the middle. And basically we're like, what was that? Can you imagine the voice of the Lord? Can you imagine the thundering of God's voice at this particular moment? 
a voice of thunder from heaven, and the Pharisees were thrown, or the Pharisees, the Philistines, <laughs> the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mitzpah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. God intervened and did what the Israelites could not do. Personal renewal says, God, I need you to intervene because I can't do it alone. That I've looked to other people and other things to meet my greatest needs, but they've fallen, fall short. Personal renewal says, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for turning my back on you. I know you've never turned your back on me. I'm sorry for disobeying you. I'm sorry for willfully sinning against you and betraying your goodness. Lord, I desperately need you in my life. I desperately need you, Lord, to help me through. I desperately, Lord, need you to do what I can't do on my own. And guess what God does with the heart that's willing to turn completely to him? He intervenes and does what only he can do. I'm going to say something really tough now. Because we've all faced this. He might not save your whole family situation through this. Okay? But he will save you through this family situation. Because that family member has to come to God. And God never will force anyone into his will. Because we, we get misguided sometimes and we, we take our biggest problem. And I'll just say family because we've all been through it in one way or another. None of us have the perfect family. And, and yet the person that we're most concerned about never changes. And we say, well, God, I thought you were going to give me victory in this family situation. He's going to give you victory through this family situation. There's a huge difference there. Huge difference. I thought you were going to give me victory over this disease or my loved one a victory over this disease and sickness. He'll give you victory through disease and sickness. Because, watch, please, I know I'm going long. I've said so much, but I'm not done yet. I don't feel the Lord's done yet, to be honest with you. I don't say that lightly. The enemy is after your faith, and he'll just use your family to attack your faith. The enemy is after your faith, and he'll use your finances to attack your faith. The battle is over your faith in him. The enemy wants you to betray God and turn your back on him completely and forever. And what personal renewal says is this, that even if my family never straightens out, even if my finances never straighten out, even if my health doesn't get better, I will never turn my back on you, O oh God, because even if things seem to be the worst to me, you're still a good God, and somehow you're going to bring this around for your glory and for my good. That's the battle that we're fighting. And if you don't get that, you'll eventually fall away from the Lord. 
Because you're thinking he should just do everything that you want him to do. And you're thinking that he should bend to your will. And if he doesn't, well, then he's not real. He can't be real because he didn't answer this prayer. If he's all powerful, then why do bad things happen? Well, if, he, if you're willing to say he's all powerful and all knowing, are you willing to say he's also all wise? See, people stop in their argument too short. See? Can we also say that he's all wise and maybe he knows better than I do? Believe me when I tell you, God knows much better than I do. I think a healthy meal is potato chips, pizza with pepperoni, and a Coke. You can't trust how you think and feel. We're, we're eating better now, Dor and I, because wedding pictures are forever. And I can put a smile on my face even if my soul wants food. Just for that day. Lindsay's getting married June 12th. And I have that day marked. Believe me. I also have June 13th and that whole week marked off. When I will be able to eat again till my soul rejoices in the glory of God. All right, three, three application points with seven points under number two. I, I'm going to declare this t right now. I didn't declare it at the online service, but the actual seven points I'm going to preach next week. All right, so we'll just stay in chapter seven because I need to get through all of this. All right, number one, I love this one. This one came to me early in the week. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Right, isn't that so simple? But why do we keep doing the same thing over and over again? Over and over again, you know? Uh, we want to get outside, and Ray's holding the door open right here, but I keep banging my head into the wall. And everybody sees it but me. People are watching going, hey, why don't you go through the open door? Well, because I want to keep banging my head against the wall. None of you have done that, I know, just me. But you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. You can't keep serving the same God, small g, the same idol. You can't keep just living a lifestyle of sin. We'll all sin again. There's a difference between lifestyle sin and making mistakes sin. You can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expect different results. We need to change. I need to change. Number two, don't just talk about it, but do something about it. See how simple these are? Very hard to live out, very simple to understand. Don't just talk about it, but do something about it. James in the New Testament says, don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Here's seven things you can do every day that will, uh, that will uh, uh, help you in this spirit, personal spiritual renewal. Seven things. I'm just going to read them, not going to preach them. Next week I'm going to preach them. Don't depend on yourself, cry out to God, run from evil, put God first in your life, check yourself by God's word, not by your mind or emotions, learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, and rest in God's love. Rest in God's love. Amen? That's next week. Surrender, number three. All right, let me give you the first two. Because after this, I charge you for them. That was just a joke. Melissa, you've been coming here long enough to know that was just a joke. You good? 
Don't you love when I call you out? Who's your favorite pastor? Come on, tell everybody. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. I ask Pastor Rose. Sometimes she'll ask for something, usually money or something, and money for ministry. <laughs> and I'll be like, who's your favorite pastor? And she goes, Brother Kenyon. <laughs> Boom, cut her budget right in half. <laughs> Boom. Can't keep doing the same thing, expect different results. Don't just talk about it, do something. I'll tell you the seven things next week. Surrender our will and ways to his will and his ways. Stop fighting against God. Start fighting for God and let him fight for you. I tell people I'm the easiest guy in the world to get along with. As long as you do what I say, the way I say it, and when I want it done. And I think we're all a little bit like that. Because I want my will to be done. I'm learning. Not my will, but his will be done. The battle's for your faith, not just your family, not just your finances. The enemy wants you to, wants you to stop trusting God and start trusting in yourself. That's what Adam and Eve did. And the enemy uses the same tricks, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Adam and Eve trusted that they knew what was best for them. Now we all realize they didn't. And hopefully today we realize we don't know what's best for us, but God does. Okay, verse 12, are you ready? Are you ready? Samuel took a large stone, maybe you've heard this verse before. And placed it between the towns of Mitzpah and Jeshanah. And he named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. And he said, thus far, the Lord has helped us. That's our theme for the hundred years. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Watch. Oh, I love this part. This was the part I couldn't wait to preach. They went from Ichabod to Ebenezer. They went from the season of Ichabod where seemingly the glory of God had departed and the glory of God had departed to Ebenezer where they could now look because of their personal renewal and say, thus far, the Lord has helped us. You don't have to write Ichabod on your life any longer because Jesus has won the victory on the cross. You don't have to let other people ridicule you and condemn you for past mistakes and past sins because you do not live under Ichabod. You live under Ebenezer. It doesn't deny the past. It thanks God for the past. It doesn't deny the sins of the past. It thanks God for the forgiveness of sins today as we look forward to what's next and the bright future. When they turned their hearts completely to God by doing something and not just talking about it, God exchanged Ichabod with Ebenezer thus far. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Hudson Taylor, one of the great missionaries ever, if you've not heard of him, began a ministry in China in the 1800s. 
Hudson Taylor himself was racked with doubt. He worried about sending men and women unprotected into the interior of China. At the same time, he despaired for the millions of Chinese who were dying without hope of the gospel. In 1865, he wrote in his diary, For two or three months, intense conflict, so bad that I thought I should lose my mind. A friend invited him to the south coast of England to Brighton for a break. And it was there, while walking along the beach, that Taylor's gloom lifted. There, the Lord conquered my unbelief. Here's what I pray. I pray that the gloom in your life would be lifted today at the Ebenezer Stone. It was there that the Lord conquered my unbelief and I surrendered myself to God for His service and I told Him that all responsibility as to the issues and consequences must rest with Him. In essence, he was saying what it says in Psalm 34, 37. I relinquish all control. I commit my way to the Lord. I relinquish all control and give it over to him. That as his servant, he went on to say, it was mine to obey and to follow him and leave the consequences to God. So here's this great missionary, you know, millions and millions of people have come to the Lord based on the foundation that Hudson Taylor laid. In all of his places of work and residence as he traveled the world, he had a plaque displayed that he could see it wherever he was very clearly. And it said this, Ebenezer and Jehovah Jireh. And I know it's Yira, I get it, it's the American version. Ebenezer. Jehovah Jireh, together these Hebrew words say, the Lord has helped us to this point and he will see to it from this point farther. Thus far, thus far, the Lord has helped us and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.